Welcome to Other Duties as Assigned. My name is Kaylee Key, and I'm the Innovation Program Coordinator at the Georgia Cyber Center. And I'm joined by Josh Duffy, who is the AV aficionado who produces this podcast for us. Today, we are going to speak with Donnie Weber. Donnie is the Chief of External Hiring and Recruitment for the National Security Agency, and he is one of the most introspective and self-aware leaders that I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with. So today, we talk about leadership, baby boomers, millennials, and the National Security Agency, and how you could find a job there. Enjoy. So I want to get kind of your four bullet points. What are four things that people need to know about you going into this? So I guess um, the the first one is the um, passion for people, mm-hmm. right? Um, I get to do this amazing job uh, with the National Security Agency where I'm allowed to focus in on some of the most incredible uh, people in the nation who um, – I would say dedicate large portions, if not all of their lives, to keeping the nation safe. They're amazing. Uh, and it's, I think that's the cool part. So people is the number one thing for me, uh, really critically important. No matter who you are, no matter where you sit, uh, everybody brings value. Um, that's really important. You need to see people when you see them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an incredible staff in, the, in our building that keeps our building clean every day. Um, they they greet us every morning with a big smile. So it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, what part of the mission you play, everybody contributes and everybody matters. So that's probably number one bullet for me. Uh, number two, um, uh, I think I, uh, sent a, a text. One of my favorite things, um, they're kind of close, I would say, but in priority wise is, uh, when I, when I come home to Augusta and I walk out that front airport door, the first thing I see is that enormous American flag mm-hmm. uh, flying across the blue, beautiful sky. Just enough wind to pick it up uh, and make a really pretty picture. I take a picture every time I come home, uh, and I send that to uh, friends and say, hey, back home. But it's this country is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so number three, uh, don't forget, I don't forget where I came from. Really important. Um Nobody starts out in the big positions they end up in, and it's really easy sometimes to let your ego get a, the best of you, and I have a great story about my ego getting the best of me. Um, if you catch yourself, wonderful. If you don't, you have a really bad chance of becoming a narcissist, which is horrible. But um, don't forget where you came from. Humble beginnings are critically important. Uh, diversity and how you grew up is critically important. Recognizing that diversity in others is really important. Reading stuff that challenges you, makes it hard for you, mm-hmm. uh, makes you think about yourself, even at times makes you angry with yourself, probably important for growth. So don't forget where you come from. And finally, um, I'm still five years old at heart, right? I don't know who this guy is that you're looking at, <laughs> uh, but when I think of myself inside my head, I love to have fun. I love when people are laughing. I love to enjoy what I do. Um, and so, yeah, that's probably shrouds all of the other three things I talked about because it's just an incredible privilege every day to, to walk into the space that I do. I hear a lot of, uh, a lot of vulnerability and a lot of empathy coming out of you. Like so, that, that seems like something that you lean into. Oh, I do heavily. Um, so I think one of the things I, I found really important over the past few years, you know, I spent nine years, I'm now heading back up to Maryland, but I spent nine years in Georgia. And when I first got here, I was a strong leader. People thought I was great. Um, I thought I was great. 
Uh, I had risen through the ranks. You know, that, this is that moment in time where you start to get bigger than, you know, your head gets bigger than, you know. Um, so you, you forget who you are. And so um, I started to read uh, a couple of books. Um, am I allowed to mention the books? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. go okay. for it. I'm yeah. just not sure if endorsement-wise, right? Absolutely. So um, I just read a couple of books by uh, several folks, but one in particular over the past couple of years is Brene Brown, uh, Dr. Brene Brown out of Houston, uh, Braving, the, Braving the Wild and Dare to Lead. Uh, mm-hmm. And the gifts of imperfection, and what you discover quickly, and allows you to put your guard down and actually experience life a little a little differently, yep. um, in a way that's probably more enjoyable than the fear based yeah. kind of life that you were living. Remaining before. open, all, uh, yeah, and and yep. you know not it's that whole thing of um, we. So I guess it, it fits best this way. I love when she talks about fitting in or belonging, um, and uh, before I would fit in. I did what I had to do to get the accolades that I needed to get to get promoted. I did what I was supposed to. I would, I would work 14 hours a day with one goal in mind, to make people happy, to avoid finding out that I didn't know what I was doing, to have to expose some kind of thing about myself that I was uncertain about things, right? Uh, perfectionism, uh, fear-based was what drove my behaviors, and it's um, unhealthy, as I soon discovered. Um, so I'd gotten really sick here in Augusta, a uh, 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 which is another, if I can plug Augusta along this path, that'd be great. We're um, all about that. Well, so I say for this reason, I, when I left Maryland to come to Augusta, I didn't expect uh, it to be a medical capital in the nation, right? Ten major, I think it's like ten. There's a, a large number of incredible uh, hospitals here, Augusta University being one of those. Um, but I went to University Hospital, uh, and a doctor there, Mallory Lawrence, uh, saved my life, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it took a shift. In my, in my world to sort of start to discover what drove me to be in that space, the amount of stress I was putting on myself. So listening to Brene Brown and actually putting into practice the things she talked about um, with your team and exposing yourself in a way that allowed them to come in and make a human connection because we're all kind of, and I'm, you know, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I'm just repeating what really great experts have, I've, have shared with us. Yes. <laughs> um, we're kind of built for that connection and it's so easy to connect with someone, right? It is um, easier than we think mm-hmm. and more powerful than we can imagine. Um, so so that empathy and vulnerability uh, comes out because I've discovered it allows me to belong to an organization vice fit in. And belonging is when you get to bring who you are to the table, right? I get to be who I am um, whenever I'm, whatever I'm contributing to, and people expect that of me. Uh, and they're not expecting me to conform to the groupthink that happens. Yes. Um, and so that's why they invite you in, and that's why diversity becomes so critically important. To do that, though, one of the huge foundations is you really have to build trust uh, to be able to do that. And so when we're looking at, and I'm, I know it's the topic of the day, but we really see it every day at the National Security Agency. When you look at how critical diversity is becoming in the world of cyber and what we do, um, you really have to foster an environment of trust for people mm-hmm. who are very different from each other to come into a room and expose themselves and share what they're thinking. And have real conversations. And so, yeah, yeah so yeah, the real yeah. conversations are the hardest. I mean, so we started a thing. Um, my new position now is the chief of recruitment uh, for the National Security Agency up north in Maryland. And we started a, a new process we're calling, um, it's a, sto- total, a total thievery of Brene Brown. We're doing Rumble. We have a Rumble Room. We've renamed <laughs> one of our conference rooms the Rumble Room, right? 
And there's some ground rules that you play by when you come into that space, and that's belonging, bringing who you are, no one else, to the table, mm -hmm. and ensuring that we hear everyone's voice, whether it's through turn and, turn and learns, right, where you put your thought on the piece of paper and everybody turns it over at the same time so not one voice kind of takes over the room. Yep. Um, and then uh, there is a strong accountability for when we leave that room, you're not allowed really to talk about everybody else. Uh, you have to just talk about the issue. And mm -hmm. it's, it's depersonalizing it. And so we had our first session surrounding trust and then um, communications, where there's a, always a huge challenge. And so I think people believe it saves us time, especially in email and social media. I mean, uh, you know, I hear all, the, all of the um, studies that show how we are falling apart as a society because social media is taking over and people are not face-to-face -face communicating. And I think, like anything else, uh, social media has this ability to connect us. Absolutely. What we do with it after that is what the problem well, is. <laughs> and the thing that I always think about social media is like, the platforms don't have anything in them. <laughs> we, like people, have to put the stuff in them. Yeah. Like that, that's, and like, we steer the conversation too. You put the content and then you drive where that goes. So it's up to you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's amazing to me. Um, again, we're going to talk about generational stuff as well because that's a huge, a huge thing in my world. That's a huge factor in my world. When I look at the population that we had and that I was working with in Georgia across the thousands of people, 70% of the population are Gen Xers and millennials. Um, mm -hmm. And so old guys like me that are right on the cusp, I call myself a Gen Xer, by the way. No offense to the boomers, but. <laughs> okay, so I'm right in the cusp. <laughs> um, I'll leave it there. So it really creates an entrepreneurial environment if you'll let it, if you'll let people in. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's where that vulnerability and empathy comes in. You've got to be, you have to be fearless enough to be vulnerable enough to be challenged by someone who clearly doesn't know as much as you do. Right. Or, right. or that's your perception of them, <laughs> right? Yes, that's the, yes. That's the yep. kicker. What, what we're discovering in things like i and Lean Start uh, out of, I think it's IDEO, I'm going to probably get this reference wrong, Steve Blank, um, is that the people who are doing the magic down in the, we'll call it the trenches, yes. right? people who actually do the work every day probably have the answers to most of the solutions if leadership will tap into that solution set. Um, and so if they'll tap into it and be vulnerable enough to listen to it and then maybe try some stuff that will not be successful, you may have short-term failures. Mm -hmm. Like We call it fail fast. Yeah. And it's really critically important because from a fail fast moment, you can actually find a bigger, better solution uh, to someone's pain point. And as leaders, I'll never forget, um, I was fortunate enough to have a person who mentored up to me, one of the folks that worked with me. I try to avoid the work for me. For is a proposition I don't enjoy. Yep. Uh, but with me, uh, they happen to be in a different part of the organization. I happen to be the leader in charge. That's how it works. Um, but they actually uh, pulled me aside and we just completed a huge effort to give our workforce something. And they said, you know, we know you guys are trying hard. We know your intentions are really good, um, but you're really not giving us anything we need nor anything we asked for. Uh, and you're, just, you're just giving us something. And, like, and we're, like, yes. yeah, right, right, <laughs> and we're right, feeling yeah, good yeah. about it. Tom, yeah, right? yes. we're, oh, we're, look what we did for you guys. Aren't you happy? Aren't you feeling good about it? Yes. Doesn't that make us great leaders? And, and to avoid us feeling that, I think they're smiling and saying, nice job. But deep down, they're going, seriously, all I really needed was, uh, I don't know, a tissue box on my desk, right? I didn't, right, right. I didn't need a whole room or something. You know, so, uh, bad example. But it, it's the whole philosophy of actually um, 
as a leader, being strong and fearless enough to listen to those around you who actually have a different thought, different mindset, and can steer you to bigger, better success than you could have imagined. So yep. I know I took a path where I don't know. No, that's great. So I think it's so rare in leadership to find people who don't say they're a millennial. I have all this experience. I'll, I'll move past what they're saying because I've been doing it this way for so long and it works. Or like you were saying earlier, I don't have all the answers. I'm just quoting people who are experts in this field. So to be able to look at yourself that way and say, you know, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is here, but there are a lot of people out there and a lot of people who might work under me who have something valuable to contribute. I think that's a big part of what we're trying to build here too is that vulnerability and the entrepreneurial spirit and the ecosystem here. So, and I, and I know for us, um, that's key. When we look across the areas where we need that kind of uh, spirited uh, engagement, our mission operations is filled with people who are, uh, have come from industry, who have come from right out of college, but have worked internships are amazing. Um, we have a program called the high school work study program where we host interns every year for their senior mm-hmm. year of high school We've actually hired several of them. I mean, back in the day when we created the High School Work City Intern uh, program, it was really to provide and, and to bring people in for employment for administrative support, right? And today we're finding that the generation we're bringing in um, grew up with the technologies that we're challenged with, and they're brilliant, right, with no mm-hmm. credential behind them. And they're no filling that workforce oh my where gosh. we have the huge gap. So we've actually hired several of them right out of high school, but the goal still is to get them into college, right? That would be the goal. So we offer a lot of educational opportunities to do that. So there's all kinds of things they can do, but it's that it, it is, this is a brand new generation of people. It's so funny. We just had this conversation before I left Maryland, which was, it seems like every generation is filled from the generation before in the spaces they wish they had power and then resents that same generation for taking and doing that power. That sentence. Yeah. That's like, it it just makes perfect so like I'm a millennial but I was raised by boomers right you don't hold that against them do you right, right, right. <laughs> and so I, I feel like I feel like I grew up filling in the gaps for my parents mainly in technology yep exactly because they had things that they wanted things that they wanted to be able yep. to do that were you know in the zeitgeist they wanted that were interesting and here's their son only child trying to fill that mm-hmm. fill that void so to speak and so that's just like I've never heard it phrased that way. Yep. And so it's just so interesting. So I we that is something I absolutely enjoy exploring is we now have, I think, four or five generations in our workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most in any workforce before. Right. right? And um it's it, bring it's, it back it, to world world class hospitals. Just it, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, it is it is exciting to see that dynamic. Um Again, if we're fearless enough to bring it in and not resist it and not let the – there's always going to be a resistance. I mean I remember when I went in the Air Force in 1983, I heard, oh, my gosh, your generation is going to kill us, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to wipe us out. And I spent 20 years in, and in my 20 years, the Air Force still existed, and the nation was still safe, right? So we Here clearly we, we clearly didn't ruin <laughs> the Air Force. Um, but I think it's that conversation. We changed the Air Force because the Air Force needed to be changed. And this new generation is doing the same in the military services and the same for the National Security Agency Mm -hmm. and critically important for places like the Georgia Cyber Center, right, where you're bringing in industry, academia, um, and government in a way that brings that group of people together uh, almost in a think tank environment, a free flow where people get to meet and mingle and not even realize they're doing work, 
right? Because they're just talking about challenges they're facing. So together in, a, in an environment that's conducive for that, designed to encourage uh, that collaboration, um, that's another interesting piece. What, is, what does that work center look like today if we're going to have that kind of collaboration? It is not offices mm -hmm. in most cases. Um, it's a combination. I think some people, like me, I love open spaces, um, but people don't love me in open spaces because I'm, <laughs> I'm obnoxious. So it's it's understanding that. Are piece. you trying to say you have a loud voice? Oh no, not just loud, what? but um, consistent, and you know, people get tired of hearing my voice. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe that. Oh, they do. Um, so yeah, so it is. Um, the environment has changed, and the need for that constant exchange and interaction. Um, and exploration, like the innovation component, really huge. You know, we we just um, worked this year on helping to uh, spark innovation within within our agency. Um, and NSA has always been in the forefront of doing things like that with the group of people we have um, because it's so important. So we have a fund that you can you can um, apply to with your idea, but it doesn't come easy. So, you know, there's an old traditional way that you let innovation happen in your organization where somebody who's brilliant comes up with an idea and voice it over the voice it over the transom. Does anybody know what a transom is? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Just check it. <laughs> um, <laughs> slides it into the open space and expects leadership to adopt it, right? Mm -hmm. And so then leadership gets a hold of the idea, and we have to go through that rigorous process of seeing who the stakeholders are, what the policy limitations are, if there's funding for it, right? So guess who we get to be? The squasher of innovation. It's awesome. So with this I-Core, the, the Lean Start philosophy, what it does is it empowers people to begin the innovation where they sit and consider all those angles so that when they present their idea or their story, um, it's, a, it's a shark tank event almost, right? It's a, I'm pitching my idea and I've thought through all of the challenges you're going to have. So then it's just an exploration of the idea. It's not an exploration of the why we can't. It's a why shouldn't we? kind of philosophy. So yep, yep. Um, we did that uh, as we stood up a brand new organization here in Georgia, the workforce support activities that brought all the kind of enabling uh, components together, uh, which were the logistics, the facilities uh, locations, the security, polygraph, counterintelligence, all that stuff. They do HR, human resources, which everybody knows that, but it's a joint military civilian kind of um, environment, which is very different. You know, a lot of different yes, components. experiences in the yeah. room. Yeah, yeah. Education and training, and then workforce development, a brand new organization led uh, to help us develop that leadership and uh, skill based kind of competencies. And so, what we looked at was a thing called customer service. And so, uh, when my partner and I, uh, who shall r remain nameless, um, she's phenomenal, came out of a mission set, mathematician by trade. Uh, brilliant woman, uh, were partnered together to, to begin this journey, uh, we began to look at what customer service looked like. And so when we brought up the word customer service, uh, we I thought we were going to have to like have bodyguards to get to our cars that night because we were brand new leaders, <laughs> hundreds of people were in charge of, and they absolutely believed they were perfect at customer service. And they were, as we discovered, if you define it as responsiveness. Yeah. Um, and so they were highly responsive to whatever their clients were looking for. Unfortunately, most clients don't know exactly what they need, and we don't take the time to explore what they're trying to accomplish. You don't do the probing piece. Like the pro the it's, it is absolutely the probing piece. So what i gave us was this ability to philosophically change and empower people throughout the entire organization, no matter what level you were, to explore that component, right? Ask people what they needed it for. Change a process because it didn't make sense, right? It just when you look at it 
you know, we created a process because we're trying to make it easier for people to know what to do and the next steps. And in that process, we forgot uh, an aspect that if I followed it, it just was ridiculous. The result was didn't make any sense. So you could break a process as long as you weren't breaking a law or a policy or something legally binding. Yep. You had the power to relook at what you were providing uh, and, and serve your client differently. And what we found was the phone calls that uh, she and I used to receive when we first took the position. So, you know, people love to tell you when you take a brand new position, all the things you can do to fix your organization. It was fantastic to hear about all the things we could do. Um, <laughs> it was it was great. Uh, and so those phone calls went away because the empowerment of our workforce enabled them to solve the problems that the workforce was, was the workforce was experiencing. They felt like they like they had some permission. It's almost like, like an employee-owned business. It sounds right. hokey, but you know when you have the ability to change how you're doing your own business, no matter where you sit in the organization. I mean, there's still some limits. That's empowering. That's incredibly empowering, mm-hmm. and it is actually more empowering for us. The other thing that we realized was we were the tradecraft experts of nothing, right? I wasn't an expert in security. I wasn't an expert in logistics. I mean, when you look at the facility, look at this facility, when you think of all the things that are required to keep it humming every day, mm-hmm. it's amazing what they have to do. Engineers, mechanical engineers, civil engineers, it's unbelievable. Add to that the complexity of a, of a national security agency facility, which has the additional component where you have to partner with your security folks to make sure we're safe and secure. Yep. It's complex like you would not believe. And that's just, if you look at Georgia, that's a small footprint in comparison to the larger global enterprise, right? right? So right. Um, so it's really, really complex. And so that enabled us to focus our tradecraft expertise on leadership and synergy and um, energizing. Ooh, that's a word, synergy. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Is it? And are you just reminding me that I can I have a vocabulary or I'm not sure. Um, yeah, so, innovation, yeah, collaboration, synergy. Yeah, it is. Yep. <laughs> Hot words. Yep, they are. So, um, wow, I wish I could say I planted it <laughs> to go back. Yes, 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 I put that there purposely. But yes. it is. It was our job to then bring these really great tradecraft experts who are really our colleagues um, to, together to be to be one kind of cohesive team on how we brought all those things together. So it was fantastic. And all based on an an I-Corp principle of exploring customer service. How have you seen the culture change since you implemented these changes? And not even implemented, but allowed the changes to happen? Um, So interestingly enough, um, I used to always have an open door policy because I I heard that's what you're supposed to have as a good leader, right? People can come and go as they please in your your organization, in your office. Um, And what we found was those were typically uh, moments where people had challenges or problems, and they were coming for us to help find a solution. Um, what we saw dramatically change for us, um, and again, we have, uh, it was a brilliant team, or, or our tribe, whatever you want to, that's my term, um, for a family like that. Uh, they were coming to share their successes, uh, coming to share a, a problem they solve, or even more uh, rewarding was when they had a failure. They felt comfortable enough to come and share with us their failure. That's um, rare. So that was awesome. We were blown away by that. It was. It felt very humbling for people to well, trust you that much. That takes a lot of EQ, not IQ. EQ, right. like, and just being able to, you know, have those kinds of conversations that deal with the intangibles. I mean, that's it's a huge deal. It is, and we um, there's a strong, as you well know, here uh, a strong military component of our workforce. And I think that's what helps us. They're not, they're not bashful, but they're brilliant in their research and their and their strive for things like EQ. 
right? They're taking their leadership uh, is hosting uh, seminars and courses and talking openly about what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. And I think the most important thing you do is share the example when you didn't, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and everybody has enough examples. I have plenty of examples I could share, but it, it is important. Those are the ones you reflect on. Um, so we see the, the culture changing in the sense that uh, there's more empowerment. Um, and, and I'm talking about my little slice of the enterprise where we were able to inf- affect that. Um, it took notoriety. So now I'm up as the chief of recruitment uh, and going to Maryland. And, and that's the environment I want to create for that group as well. Um, what helps me in there is that it is largely a, a group of probably mid-20s, um, energetic, dedicated. They have and, an, and very open to the, to the words that you're using. <laughs> and the, like, you know, they don't see it as, you know, well, well, you know, we're not doing work. Like, you know, it, it's, it's an important aspect of what they want their career to be. Absolutely. And I think the one of the things that um, early on I learned as well was taking that First 30 minutes of your day, do not log into your computer, grab your cup of coffee, and go walk around. I learn more about my team. I learn more about what their challenges are. I get more work done in that 30 to 45-minute walk around every morning than I would if I went and sat at my desk and sent out a blasted email or sent a specific email. Um, one of the measures of I use as a personal measure of success is how many of my team now will come to my office to say goodnight that they're leaving. When I got there, there were the obvious ones that were close by, and now there are people coming from across the organization to say goodnight. Um, that's a human connection. Uh, and it's, I, I say that not because I feel like, oh, look, they're coming to say goodnight to Donnie Weber. I feel like that's important because they're making a human connection with each other and me, and that's the most critical part of my job as a leader. Um, because, again, their task ahead of them is amazing. These mm-hmm. recruiter, The recruiters that we have uh, are managing incredible applicant candidate loads across unbelievable skill sets. Computer science, the obvious ones for cyber, right? Computer science, electrical engineering, all of the engineering components, um, mathematicians, uh, we have all kinds of really incredible skill sets, but the ones that you know people forget about to to make a village run. Uh, I need business and management folks who are right. smart in contracts and finance. I need police. We have an actual police force. They are a legitimate law enforcement agency. We we run in. I've run into this a few times here, just by the nature of the Georgia Cyber Center, where people because I feel like most civilians don't think about. That like every DOD organization, everyone in the every organization in, in intelligence, it they've got to have everyone that you have in a business. I Logistics, mean, yeah. HR, administration, yeah. All so, I mean, of it. Yep, human resources, education and training, yeah. uh, leadership development. So even for me, um, they offer us the opportunity at my at, at um, for me to have an executive coach. Well, for me, for that to be beneficial, they have to have a clearance. Right? I have to be able to talk about the challenges I'm facing. Yeah. The actual real. Yeah, so it really becomes important even for, at the executive coach level. And, they're, and they change. They can, if you allow them, like Brene Brown and reading books, Dan Coyle, if you've not read Culture Code, oh my gosh. Uh, I'm reading a new book now that's challenging my bias, um, which is called White Fragility, uh, Why White People Are Afraid to Talk About Race. 
Um, and it's taking me a while because it is challenging me on every page, right? Mm-hmm. As I turn. And that's a good, that's a really good challenge to have. Um, and I did that book from a friend of mine who came to me. I just taught a class on unconscious bias, which is a critical component uh, for us, um, especially as you look into tech industries, right? Mm-hmm. Look around. Yep. Right? I'm not seeing the. And, it, and it, what you discover is there's, it's not a, an intentional necessarily. There could be. I'm not saying everybody's you know, great, but I believe majority of people are honest and trying to do the right thing. Um, but there's a human intrinsic motivational piece that preserves that relationship of people that you know and relate to, right? You just connect so much quicker yeah. with that group. So and you can't help it. So, but you can if you're aware. Right. So you have to read tough books like this one. Right. You have to read tough books like Brene Brown, and then you have to put them into practice. Mm-hmm. That's the really hard part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was, there was one example that I thought was really poignant uh, in the book, which was the White Fragility. It's Robin D'Angelo, um, which was, uh, you know, when you look at where there's change needing to happen, take, for example, to, to kind of make it a little um, easier to, to talk about, I think that's why the example is there women's rights to vote. Who is the body of people that they had to convince that that was a good thing to happen, right? And has that body of lawmakers changed dramatically in a way that it's not the same set? So for any kind of massive change, right, you have to kind of look at that. So it's, that's where the challenge comes for us as leaders. We have to look at that really hard um, and to uh, recognize it and to maybe adjust around it, right? We've put a lot of things in place uh, at the at the agency for things like uh, um, duly constituted boards, which mm-hmm. ensures diversity on a board doing hiring decisions. Um, and so there, that's looked at every day. We look at that every single day. Um, and we're making subtle, it's it's happening slowly, but it's happening, right? And it's deliberate, right. which is what which is really critically important. Um, because as an agency, we started in 1952, and largely it was formed from people who were retiring from the military at the time for mm-hmm. decades, and that was predominantly one group of folks. So that, that was the funnel. Yeah, it was. Like, it really was. And it was critically important. And it still is today. Um, so now it's what are we going to do differently, right? We have yeah. a senior who is in charge of diversity, equality, and inclusion. Um, a senior executive who came, she came out of operations. Uh, she came out of capabilities, which are our IT organization. Incredible background in the agency's uh, mission sets. And she can truly appreciate uh, the criticality and the complexity of that. But then she can bring this new dimension that we need to begin to look at stronger. Because um, our adversaries are fairly diverse right. and think quite differently than we would think about any topic. I mean, the world has changed dramatically in that regard as adversaries go. Um, they play by different roles. They think differently. I mean, I don't think anybody thought in a million years somebody would run a plane into the trade centers, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, that's a... So that's hard. So, but to, to be successful against that kind of an adversary, you have to have diverse thinking and thought and backgrounds, and you have to be different. So, so you were saying when we first started, you were saying that it's so important to grow up with diversity in your life and to be around different people with a different way of thinking, so that you can, you know, you have the agility to think differently, like maybe our adversaries do. How if you don't, if you didn't grow up that way and you weren't in a diverse community? per se, this community, how do you, how do you shape your thinking to be more diverse and to um, acclimate to, to the folks you're dealing with and the people around you? Mm, great. That's a great question. Um, so 
If you'll indulge me, I'll share my background. It wasn't diverse. So I came from a very blue-collar neighborhood in New Jersey. My father was the, and um, yeah, I'm going to just put her name out there. Karen Nixon convinced me one year to do a TEDx in Augusta, right? And I share this story in that piece. But my dad was the body man, meaning he worked on cars, right? That was his his thing, and he was the worked for a dealership. The guy across the street was the unionized butcher. Guy next door was the janitor at the lo- at our at our uh, school system. So everybody was worked really hard, but everybody looked like me, right? There was no diversity in the sense of um, uh, any of the protected classes in our environment, right? There was diversity in where you came from, and that's how we referred to each other. You know, we knew where the Germans lived and the Italians lived, mm-hmm. and we knew where the Jewish people lived. That's how we. That's kind of the neighborhood we grew up in. Um, and so, if you allow that to, and it does, it is the foundation of who you are. That's where unconscious bias comes from, mostly, right? Um, and that's where people have the challenge of, well, can I really change who I am? If 19 years, I grew up in that environment for 19 years, I learned how to treat women in that environment from my father. Right? I learned how to behave as a man, and I'm using air quotes, but as a man uh, from my dad in that environment. And I didn't conform to any of those and didn't figure out why I was struggling. And I was bullied all the time because I was the art kid. I was the plant kid. I was the catch the lizards and name them kid, right? I was the, I had a jar full of ladybugs. That was, you know, so. I, I can relate so heavily to that. <laughs> the, the, the community I grew up in, I'm from Minnesota. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was the kid in the neighborhood that went to college for art. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like just, you know, I didn't want to play sports. I yeah. wanted to, you know, uh, for me, it was collect rocks and name yeah. them. Yeah. So, I went to yeah. art school, guys. Yeah. Two blocks from here. So I get yeah. you. <laughs> I would argue, though, that it was probably safer for you as a woman to go to art school than yeah. it was for me as a guy in that environment to go to an art school. I Absolutely. went to art classes and I got picked on every day. I also was the kid in you know elementary school that had a briefcase. <laughs> it was awesome. Yep. Yep. I, I love look it. back now and I think, no wonder why they picked on me. I would have picked on me, but that's different. So what changed for me, what rocked my world in diversity was when I joined the Air Force. Uh, and I woke up one morning uh, at 2 in the morning in an in a open bay dorm, if you will, with 52 guys from around the country um, who didn't look, sound, or behave anything like me in most cases. There were one or two folks um, and you begin to then explore, uh, you befriend people that you probably wouldn't have befriended because they didn't conform and fit into what your neighborhood looked like. And you discover that they're not really any different than you are as to why they joined. Mine mm-hmm. was to escape. <laughs> um, so at the time, was that a powerful thing for you or did you not have any sort of idea of like how that was going to... I was scared out of my mind. It was not powerful at all, yeah. right? I was petrified. I didn't know that's what it was until yep. years later, right, that that, that began my diversity journey yep. um, and, and how critical it was in changing my thoughts of people. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was a, a huge moment. Again, you don't realize some of those until you're older and you look back and go, oh, that's where it started. That's why it's there. Um, but then it made me question all of those reactions I would have to people Later in my life, like, well, no, I know, you know, I knew John when I was back in basic. That's not the way he was. So why would I think that of this guy? And again, I'm talking about it like that was my deliberateness in my brain at the time, but it, it just jarred me to think differently mm-hmm. and didn't fully understand why. It didn't really come to me until, um, gosh, it was 2015, I believe, uh, when the agency started to look at things like unconscious bias and hiring practices and promotion practices and you know, we couldn't name the thing that was a uh, was causing that kind of barrier, and they named a really strong uh, 
Deb Plunkett was the senior executive. And, you know, when they name a senior executive in our agency, that means they are investing in that. And especially uh, like Liz Brooks, our diversity, uh, equality, and inclusion lead. And then Deb Plunkett before her as our uh, person for equality. Um, they came out of mission spaces. So that's a that's like a message to the rest of the agency. We mean business. This is something we want to, we want you to put your attention on. And so she began to look at things and realize that it was this unconscious bias piece. How do we overcome that? Um, and, you know, there's studies, they've done MRI studies to show that it is a fight or flight mentality. So your amygdala reacts when you're in situations. And it's that kind of instant decision making um, that, that you have to kind of overcome. Because most cases, it's like 40 million bits of information into your or 11 million bits of information enter your brain. And you've got minutes to decide what those are, and you create shortcuts. And most time, your shortcuts are absolutely wrong, um, and you misjudge people because of them. But they're based in how you grew up, how you were taught to teach or treat people, how people were affected, you know, how you related to people in your life. So um, it was really uh, that was the life changing moment. And I started. That's when I started to unpack the experiences that I'd had and realized those were moments that were challenging those unconscious biases that I had. And this is why. And this is why. So they're real. And so a great um, litmus test for folks is um, to stop when they feel that emotion. You can, emotions are a great driver of thought if you let them be. Right? Why, am I gonna, why, am I rea- why am I emotionally getting scared? Why am I emotionally getting angry? Why am I taking that emotion, stopping for a minute to unpack it and figure out, am I actually mad at the person? Am I mad at the issue? Am I mad? And it has nothing to do with anything I'm doing right now. So what's driving the emotion? And that really, that's, that was life-changing for me. Um, the story that um, kind of was epitome for me of that, of that conversation was when we moved to Maryland. And um, we had been waiting for the movers to deliver our household goods all day. Uh, and they didn't show up, despite, I think, 30 phone calls to the, to the office who Ouch. said, they're on their way, they're on their way, they're on their way. So we're sound asleep in our apartment, brand new neighborhood we're in. So you don't know anybody there. You don't know what it's like, if it's safe, if it's not safe. And all of a sudden, uh, like two in the morning, there's this pounding, literal pounding on the door. So I jump up and I look out the peephole and there are three African-American young men outside of my door. And my amygdala reaction was, oh, hell no, I'm not answering that door. This is not a good situation. And I thought, okay, so breathe for a minute. Wait, what's going on? Um, and again, this is hindsight. Um, and what I realized was I was reacting to the biases that I had been raised with forever. And I needed to be more thoughtful and say, we're waiting for movers. They could be the movers. So just ask them who they are, right? And they were the movers. And I met three of the most unbelievably smart, um, I'll call them young men, because I don't like to call people like you know kids, but they were young men working their way through school. And we were the third delivery that day of big deliveries. And this moving company was just beating them, right? I mean, they were just inundated. And it was hard work. You're moving people. And here I am. Guess where we are? The third floor of an apartment complex with no elevator. It's 3 o'clock you, in the and, morning. And they have to move our furniture. And you got stuff. And we have stuff, <laughs> right? We do. We have stuff. We've been right. married. My wife and I have been married for like 10 years at this point. What is it? No. I think it's been 10 years. Uh-oh. We don't blow Getting that. yourself in trouble. No, no, it's been 15 years. There we are. So we married 36 this year. Known her since sixth grade. We grew up in the same town. But she'll forgive me. She knows I'm ditzy. Um, 
So the, the, what we discovered was a great friendship with people that if I had reacted the way my unconscious bias and my fight or flight would have wanted me to react, I would have missed out on, right? Um, and so that's the piece that, that became critically important. That's why I did the, the TEDx. For me, that was, um, those are life-changing moments if you'll let them be. Mm-hmm. And you really have to invite them in. Um, and, you have, and you have to accept that you have those things. Uh, and then figure out ways that you're going to react when they happen. So, have you seen um, the organization change since you know in your TEDx you were we we watched it yesterday. You were talking about some of the changes. <laughs> no, it was great. I started it and I said, Josh, you're going to love this guy. And so we started it over. Um, and once you got into the hand raising part, Josh and I were both like, Yeah, we're sunk. We got you know we're on the same page. Um, but you were talking about some of the changes that y'all were implementing to you know, to make that shift. And you said earlier it's slow, but have you seen it change since you've started to look at unconscious bias and diversity? And So, you know, I can talk from where I'm sitting, mm-hmm. right? Um, do I think it's a massive change? It's slow. Cultural change like that is always slow. But I've seen the change. The pure fact that we can, I can have a, I can be in a room and talk about it. When we're having a conversation, I can call people on it, accountability for maybe that's what's driving their decision. Um, and I don't have to call it out like, ooh, unconscious bias, throw a red flag down. Um, I, you can just say something to the effect, well, do you think what's driving your, your decision is maybe something that you happened in the past? Or, you know, there's ways around talking about it. We're talking about it. We're investing in it. Um, and I think that's where I'm seeing the change. I'm excited mm-hmm. about that. Um, because I know, uh, so for example, uh, we require every one of our organizations who do hiring to provide a comprehensive diversity hiring plan before we'll go out on the road. That's brand new, right? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of exciting. Revolutionary. It, well, so we think it is, right? Yeah. And it's hard. It, you know, our number one concern every day is to keep the nation safe. We have to do that piece. And so um, it doesn't mean we don't think or do these other kinds of important parts of our business, um, but still our number one every day is making sure we know what's going on with our adversaries and protecting our government communications and, and uh, 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 IT systems, right? So those are two critical pieces for us that we have to maintain every day. And so we, nothing can really distract that piece. And we're successful. Um, thankfully, we're successful. Um, unfortunately, no one will know, and that's the way it has to be. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, the one time that it isn't, we'll all know. Right. So you right. never know the yeah. thousands of times that there was success. And we're okay with that. Yeah. Uh, that's what you decide to do. Um, but you also recognize that you can't do that portion of it without considering the other pieces of diversity. Not. And Mm-mm. Cannot. Even more so today than ever before. It's really important. Have you seen the change in Augusta since you first moved here and now that you're leaving? Have you seen the shift here? Oh, my gosh. Um, so, so interestingly enough, uh, the diversity in Augusta was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, converted Catholic because uh, my wife is c- Catholic, so I wanted to marry her, right? So Catholic churches, <laughs> Catholic churches, don't typically. Um, oh gosh, I'm gonna. This I shouldn't go in that. But <laughs> but where I'm from, right? They didn't have a huge diversity demographic, whether it was uh, whether it was uh, um, age or anything else. So when it came to Augusta, uh, leaving Maryland, I thought we would be in the South. And um, the parking lot would be full of pickup trucks. I was completely wrong. The diversity in the church that we went to, uh, St. Teresa's, was amazing to me. 
uh, mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, the, the gender, Vietnamese, Hispanic. Um, it was incredible, the range of diversity in a population that I hadn't anticipated because I guess the, you know, the, it's the medical community, it's the military community, it's the, and it draws people to a, a place that you just wouldn't think. And w- one thing about Augusta, so I'm new to Augusta in the mm-hmm. last like two years. One interesting thing to me is like I've never seen so many different license plates Right. Yes. In one small, relatively small city in the yes. south. Like, I remember the first time I was at the mall and I saw a Hawaii plate on the back of someone's car. Yeah. And it's the military community. Yeah. And we, I know that. But, like, it was like, wait, what? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, um, so that part for me was exciting to get here and see that. The change that I've seen is the growth in that diversity because of the growth in the interest in cyber um, and the growth of the medical community, the incredible morph of... Um, uh, Augusta University over time, right? Taking the small Somerville campus into a more substantial um, areas of study in the world of cyber. Uh, I believe it will be comparative to the medical college, um, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I have to say I'm such a, I'm such a, um, again, because the, the experience I had with my own health, I'm so thankful we were in Augusta. I know people think the Baltimore area, they do, great, Johns Hopkins, incredible medical community, but you get lost there a little bit, right? Because right. it's so huge. So a couple stories I'll share of why I think it's different here and what I've seen morph is when our realtor realized we'd be in our house, brand new house, all day long waiting with the movers, we get this knock at the back door and there's Jackie Corley. She's our realtor, the person who's been helping us find a house with a platter full of subs, um, a lemon cake for dessert, and a big honking jug of sweet tea. <laughs> which, by the way, I've become addicted to. It's your fault. Southern hospitality loves, at its finest. Amazing. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't expect that to happen. Um, so that was uh, th- that was exciting. The second piece is just the um, the change of what's happened in in the relationship building from the post changing to the cyber center, um, the cyber center of excellence, Army Cyber coming. Um, the, of course, NSA has been there. We've been there for a long time, mm-hmm. since 95 at least, in a small capacity. Watching the community rally around that. Um, and then you see the changing in the schools as it relates to curriculum, cyber curriculum, being in high schools at sophomore year, um, helping to make sure that the population has the opportunity to participate in things like the high school work study or get mm-hmm. college grants and through our student program opportunities, and not just ours, through industry interns, all kinds of really great stuff. So watching the growth in just nine years, it sounds like just nine years, right? But it's just nine years um, to watch the cyber center be built, Mm -hmm. the investment by the governor into this area, um, you know, when everybody thought Atlanta would be the spot. Um, But Atlanta, like Baltimore, becomes saturated, right? You need to make sure you have a dispersed kind of protective network you can't have everything mm-hmm. in the one location um and it's changed the the look of the river right it, it looks gorgeous oh absolutely they've kept the integrity of the green space and uh, blended that in nicely um and so that was critically important bringing together people industry academia and government in ways that we never imagined so very progressive for a small town still a small town great place to raise a family great schools to go to um a lot more chill than like Atlanta or yeah. other big, It is. Big and, markets. you know, when I, I – we used to tease people that moved down here when they talk about traffic. Uh, I'm back <laughs> in Maryland. That's traffic. Oh. 
Um, but the traffic here is when you're the seventh car back from the stop sign behind the bus, that's your big problem for the day. Yeah. Right? So yep. it's growing because the infrastructure has to grow. The concentration of people here is growing because of Army Cyber and other things. And over time, that'll always morph. But I've never been in a city anywhere where they've ever kept up, right? But it's still one of the best places you can you can raise a family, have a home. Um, I mean, that was the other incredible thing when we bought our home here. Um, we were in a beautiful golf course community which I would have never been able to touch up in Maryland. Yeah. It was not even a, even, even a partial reality. Mm-hmm. And I'll never, f- I'll, I'll never forget the builder just looking at me like I had six heads when I kept asking how much everything was for the upgrades, right? Because there was crown molding and wainscoting and the real wainscoting, which was the thick boarded wainscoting and the ceiling fans and the solid oak floors and the granite counters. And I kept thinking, come on, <laughs> right? Um, garage door openers. I mean, just little things that... So on my flip side, I'm going back uh, to Maryland and I'm asking about ceiling fans. And they're like, oh, rough-ins are 250 Like, rough-ins are 250 Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right, right, right. So, I mean, each place has its benefit. I'm excited to be back home. That's, that'll be fun. Um, so that's in, we're enjoying that piece of it. Oops, enjoying that piece of it. Um, so that's fun. And the challenge of being chief recruitment, really exciting with this group. So that doesn't, you know, a new challenge is always kind of fun. Um, but... What I've seen here is the change in the in the dedication of the state and the city towards ensuring um, not only their state, but not only Georgia, but the country remains safe. I don't know that people fully appreciate the potential and the ease in which cyber can become a challenge. I mean, if you just think if today you went to pull into a gas station and you couldn't use your debit or your credit card to pay for gas, how would you pay? I mean, most people aren't carrying cash anymore. Right. And then if you didn't have access to your bank account, yeah. right, what would you do for days? I don't think right? people realize how much it touches their lives. It do- well, again, in every way. It's become so con- – bill pay- everything is so convenient. Um, I don't think we do. Right? And it's the challenge that – it's what keeps a lot of us awake at night right? is that challenge. But, again, uh, what's exciting is that the city and the agencies that are here and the industry that's here are all coming together in a way that's keeping – that care mm-hmm. uh, in place uh, so that people don't have to think about it. Hopefully, they never have to worry about it. Um, and we'll be able to keep that component safe, which is what this center is going to stand stands for today. I mean, I cannot believe the second building is done. It looks awesome. Um, when I was here last time, we went through the construction site. It was a shell, so... Very exciting. We move fast around here, yes. for sure. Yes, mm-hmm. It's nice. funny that you mentioned... Um, bank accounts and how we're bringing everyone together because, and I can say this because no one listening will know what day this is, but (laughs) the Federal Reserve Bank is here today. And it's just another one of those partnerships that we have that they're not in the building, obviously. They've got their own gig going. They don't, they don't need a location here, but they do come down here to do breakout sessions and roundtables and um, interact with the folks here because we do, you know, that's something that we touch so much. Um, So just another, a, a partnership in an odd way, people would say, why is the Federal Reserve Bank at the Georgia Cyber Center? But but then us who work here on a regular basis, we're like, we're so happy the Federal Reserve Bank wants <laughs> yeah, to be here. Exactly. It's like, yes, the, we, we want these people here. <laughs> so I mean, I think that's exciting too when you think about it. Would Augusta have even gotten the attention of the Federal Reserve Bank before this? I don't know. I'm just asking the obvious question, right? I think it's because of the, the kind of innovation that's occurring mm-hmm. um, and the kind of excitement that's kind of brewing. And... Um, because it is a beautiful downtown space. 
um, not just the Cyber Center, but when you look at the history of Augusta um, and, and some of the incredible architecture, um, that would be incredible to see all of that built up in a way that um, maintains yeah. that integrity. I would hate to see it. And it's, a, it's an easy downtown, too. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. We had a lot of fun. Um, the Imperial Theater was incredible. Uh, as I said, I stood on the stage where Charlie Chaplin stood, right? It, just amazing history like that, if you think about it, where people walked before you. Right. Um, James Brown, I mean, that's an obvious one, but what an incredible influence on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to be a part of that while you're here. So the history is pretty incredible. I'm not a huge history buff, but I love stuff like that. It's just exciting. It's the people part of the history that I love. Um, the small town, uh, and I don't, small town in the sense of... Um, Everybody knows their neighbor kind of small town. Yeah, they call it the the biggest small town you'll yeah. ever be in because Augusta is huge, but, yeah, but it's the, not Atlanta huge. But the right? intellectual capital is high, Yeah, right? Um, one of the questions we had gotten early on is we have a huge um, – we've, we've brought our intern programs, college intern programs, and we're looking at a scholarship program to come down. We have high school work studies here. Um, would we find uh, that type of student here? Um, oh, my gosh, Yes. Right. And what you don't discover. So there's a commercial, and I won't mention it because, again, I'm not trying to endorse, but the commercial is, I thought, really poignant. The world distributes talent and, um, I'll just use my word, incredibleness equally, but it doesn't distribute opportunity equally. So what what Augusta gives people the the opportunity to do is to reach into those rural parts of, mm-hmm. the, of the country and you'll find unbelievable talent in that space. I mean, just incredible, brilliant people who... You would never have met before, right, had they not had the opportunity to do so. So uh, we see that every day. It's one of the things I love most about the job I have today, which is chief of recruitment. Um, I'm surrounded every day by a welcome center of of about uh, 40 brand new people who are working through the process to become employees. Average age, again, I think is 24, maybe. I could be lower than that. Um, And I wish that's where the news crews were. Right, I wish the news crews were looking at the generation that is still committed to keeping the nation safe. They're joining the military, mm-hmm. volunteer, right? There's no, there's no draft. Um, they are coming to agencies like ours when they could clearly make more money somewhere else. Um, they're coming because they're dedicated to what they're doing. They want the experience. When we get them, they stay because of the incredible mission. Um, but we don't mind if they leave and come back. That's mm-hmm. critically important. Uh, so it's, it, it is an incredible um, time, I think, and the generation that's coming is proving once again that the nation will be in good shape. Um, I'm not worried about that. I see it every single day. It's, what I, it's again, what I love about the job. Um, and the opportunities for that generation, a shameless plug if I can, um, in places like the National Security Agency are huge between our scholarship programs. Uh, the intelligence community at large, the intelligencecareers.gov is a great place to go and explore that. Um, but we have another huge hiring year this year uh, coming up. And so um, I would just encourage folks to take a look and see what those opportunities are because they're huge. Uh, and they will not be disappointed. I can promise them that. So to give yourself another shameless plug, I want to encourage that, of course. Um, if you're if you're talking to people who are listening who might be considering a career, but um, I think there's a PR problem a little bit, the same one that we have here that – you have to have a security clearance. Um, you have to be in a cyber-related field or computer science, or you know, you have to have this connection somewhere. Can you kind of clear clear the air there? Tell 
you know, provide some insight on who, who you're looking for, the diversity that you're looking for and who has opportunity. So, so I would say that, um, uh, the number one thing that, uh, people need to know is you have to be an American citizen, mm -hmm. right? Um, that uh, you don't have to be um, isolated into one of the STEM, the, the science, technology, engineering, math communities, although those are critical for us. Those are the largest part of our hiring process. But you can be, uh, we have um, psychologists, nurses, police officers, uh, contracting specialists, finance specialists, um, HR professionals, uh, we have health professionals. We just started a, a new organization, a wellness organization, looking at wellness across the agency. So there are many ways to contribute, and I would not um, self-select out. Um, the process can be uh, daunting if you look at it, but we'll walk you through all of that. It does require that you um, have a successful polygraph, that there's a background investigation, and there's also a psychological assessment. Um, and so... You're looking at a person who was successful in all three of those, so it's doable, right? Um, uh, but we're going to look at things like um, we would ask that you be mindful of taking music off the internet, right? At a certain level, if it's if you're stealing it, you're stealing it, and it's um, illegal. Um, we would ask that you look at your behavior when it comes to drinking. Please uh, avoid underage drinking. Don't avoid it. Just don't do it. Uh, and then if you're of age to drink, how often, how much, and right, those are really tough, tough areas. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it will not uh, necessarily exclude you, but it could slow down the process. Um, or it could delay you being able to be selected uh, until the behavior can be reconciled. Um, but nothing is not workable. Like we can work through some stuff uh, most of the time. So it's the behaviors that people take for granted, I think a lot of times, and that can actually be uh, slowed on the process. Um, depending on the kinds of um, relationships you have, that can take longer than others. Mm -hmm. um, you can have foreign uh, relationships with people of other countries, um, but it may take us a while to ensure that those relationships are appropriate, right? So um, that can slow down a process, but it doesn't preclude you from being selected. Um, because again, we're looking for brilliant, um, dedicated, committed people. Uh, and so uh, those are all things you just have to consider. So be legal all times, right? Um, be truthful. Uh, integrity is a key component of who we are. Um, we withstand that integrity every day. We, we are trained every single year, like it or not, if you like it or don't like it, what the laws are that govern the work that we do. We must take that annual training. We have to be in, conform in conforming with those laws. Um, as American citizens, we take it really seriously. That's not something I take lightly um, because I don't want anyone to be able to say, well, if the integrity is broken here, how can I be sure that it's not there? And that's not who we are as, a, as, an, as an agency because I represent, right, I'm a taxpayer. Uh, I belong to this, this country as well. So I'm as dedicated to that freedom and that ensuring that we're sticking by the law all the time. So um, I would just say in that process, be patient. Uh, be communicative with us. We're working on our communications. We're not always perfect in that space when it comes to candidates. We're trying really hard, um, but we have a we have a really um, hardworking group of recruiters who hiring managers and a whole group, a whole team. Uh, General Nakasone refers to it as uh, recruiting as a team effort, and it it really does take a village. It's not just the recruiter, but mm -hmm. the recruiters are face, and they work hard every single day. Some of them are managing you know hundreds of candidates apart from traveling on the road and. Uh, I just my hats off to the whole group that work um, so hard to keep a positive face, and they're most in most cases the newest um, teammates, 
right? So they're just learning about the agency and um, excited to be there. Uh, but it's a challenge. Recruitment's a fun. I think it's the best job in the agency for fun. But it's no, it's not for the faint of heart, right? It's no, it's a, no small task. It is not a small task, especially yeah. across the demographic of uh, skill sets we're looking for. But I would just say, tell people, again, it takes a village, right? I have logistics, civil engineers, oh, there it is, mechanical engineers. Um, all those kinds of attributes are critically important to run a global enterprise. So really important that they are um, uh, mindful that they can be a part of cyber no matter who they are. They can be a part of foreign signals intelligence no matter who they are. They can be a part of protecting the nation, most importantly, no matter who they are. So I would just tell them to check out the intelligencecareers.gov. Um, that's the place where we reside with the community, 16 uh, agencies that make that up. If NSA is not yours, there's a plenty of pl- there are plenty hmm. of places to go. Um, so, yeah, that's my shameless plug. I love it. All right, to close out, can you tell us one Augusta gem that you're going to miss when you move up north? Um, so, oh, wow, that's hard to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> that's mean. Um, so I'm going to pick a relationship that I've built over four years, uh, five years now, Karen Nixon from Augusta University. Um, I've never met a more genuine, authentic person dedicated to this community and her family and um, I will miss the relationships I've built here, uh, the people. And I said, I'll go back to when you asked me, what are my top four? And one of them was people. And so it's really hard for me. It's been a really hard move, not because of the job. That's exciting. But, um, I also have a tribe here, right? I have a great group of friends and, um, Karen is by far one of those. And we've been through a lot to watch this center grow mm-hmm. her, myself, Mike, uh, Michael Schaffer, um, it, you know, it started in a, in a wings night. We used to get together and have wings and just BS about what's happening and how we could contribute or shape. And, um, I think, uh, Michael and Karen had this vision for a long time, um, but we got to flesh it out on the napkin, if you will, and have some yeah. fun talking about it. So, uh, that was exciting. The infamous um, napkin. Yeah. I miss, I, I will miss those, those times greatly. Um, so yeah, I missed, uh, it's, it's a beautiful place. The skies here are incredible, right? But that's the people. It really is the people that I'll miss the most. Uh, I will say that. It, there are pretty skies in Maryland. I'm not denying that. But there is nothing prettier than a sunrise in the morning or a sunset with the colors that span across the sky and the, and the green pines in that sky. Beautiful. And I will miss coming home to an airport that is walkable. Um, my car <laughs> is literally out the front door. Yeah. But most importantly, um, walking out that front door and seeing that enormous American flag across that blue sky. Uh, is will be something I'll miss as my marker that I'm home. We would like to extend our sincere appreciation to Donnie Weber for donating his time this morning and giving us some great conversation. We would also really like to thank the NSA for the opportunity to interview someone who is in leadership there. We are so grateful for our relationship with the NSA and just thankful that they allowed us to do this. And again, thank you for listening to Other Duties as Assigned. We are recording from the garage at the Georgia Cyber Center, which is the makerspace here on site. And the Georgia Cyber Center is sponsored this podcast so we are able to record ad free thanks so much for listening <laughs>